Welcome to Making of Historian, the podcast chronicling one grad student's quest to study for his comprehensive exams. And this episode uh, is going to be kind of special because it's not one grad student, but two. I have the pleasure of welcoming my friend Craig. Uh, say hi, Craig. Hey, everybody. My name is Craig. Uh, so, Craig, tell us what you're studying. What are you doing? Yeah, so I study modern Latin America. Specifically, I study Argentina and Chile uh, in the mid-20th century. And um, what I'm particularly focused on is the right wing in those countries, the Catholic right, and how they reacted to the changes in the Catholic Church after the Second Vatican Council. Okay, so why is that important? Like, what, what sort of... If I was an undergrad taking your class, like, why should I care about the right wing in Latin America after the Second Vatican Council? Yeah, so probably the most obvious reason is that uh, immediately after this, at least in historical terms, immediately after, so in the 70s and 80s, um, there is a wave of right wing governments throughout Latin America, uh, all of which collectively murder about 200,000 people. Wow, um, <laughs> that's a lot. Uh, yes, in, in Argentina and Chile alone, it's about 35,000. Wow. Um, and these are countries that, you know, have... Chile's population is quite small, and Argentina's is only about 30 million, and so this is a, this is a huge part of the country. So, so like, are these countries politically unstable beforehand? Because I know in Britain, there's t- periods of time where people are just killing each other all the time. Uh, is this uh, a political, are they always politically unstable? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's an extremely good question. I think that's the other reason that I am very interested in studying the right, because most of the time when people talk about these countries and how their politics works, it's as if like these periods are just like violent. Like, yeah. There's just political violence yeah. and like that's how you should understand it. Yeah. But what I'm interested in is instead saying like, okay, well, instead of thinking about the right as this sort of like black box that you can't really understand because they're weird and they say these crazy things yeah to, to try to say like okay but like actually why were they killing people like why did they kill masons and jews yeah. and socialists and women and yeah. priests like what kind of an ideology could actually motivate thousands and thousands of people to do those things um so it's not only important for understanding the violence that comes after but it, it is true that this is a pattern of violence that has existed in these countries for decades, uh, decades before, and continues to this day. So can you tell me any stories that, like, or is there any story that, like, sums this up in a nutshell? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so one of the organizations I look at specifically is called um, El Movimiento Nacionalista Taquara, uh, the Taquara Nationalist Movement. Uh, and that, that, that does not sound threatening at all. No, that no, does no, not sound no, ominous. No, no. They're, <laughs> they're, uh, they're pretty crazy. Um, they were a, a sort of youth militant organization uh, in the late 50s and early 60s. And they're kind of like one part just sort of like goony thugs. Yeah. But one part paramilitary fascist organization. So I'm imagining like one part Three Stooges and one part like Die Hard. Uh, mm, I'd say that they're more like, it's more like one part, like hapless criminals. Yeah. Like, like, (laughs) so, so it's like one part hapless criminals from like Pulp Fiction. Yeah. And then other part is like, just kind of like a smaller Hitler youth. (laughs) So, um, so like, so, so like what they do is like, um, you know, they do things ranging from like putting leaflets all over the place that yeah. say like crazy anti-Semitic shit, 
to firebombing synagogues, to driving trucks into protests um, God. of leftists, to uh, my favorite thing that they did uh, was they attacked the British consulate yeah. in the in the capital of Buenos Aires province, which is La Plata. Which yeah. is also it's a college town. That's why they were there. Um, they attacked the British consulate, not like with arms, but but with with tar. Um, because this is the 60s, there isn't spray paint, and, yeah. so, and so graffiti is like tar bombing things. Yeah. And the, um, the, the police report specifies that what they t- that they show up and start just like throwing tar at the windows and walls and like breaking shit. And they like try really hard to get one of their tar bombs to hit the seal, like the yeah. wall seal. Yeah. Uh, they succeed, and then a cheer erupts. And they like start like they explode in like leaflets about Malvinas, about the Falklands. Yeah. And then they like storm away, uh, having won, I guess, something. So, <laughs> so the thing is, it's like they are like childish. They're yeah. like they're goons, they're hooligans, but they also just like perform political assassination. So, so make this dumb for me. Uh, what is this? Uh, uh, group show you about uh, important things in history that people should know about. Yeah, so one of the things that it shows me is that like many smaller fascist organizations and new ones, uh, like the alt-right for example, yeah, or fascist movements not organizations, excuse me. Um, like many smaller fascist movements, uh, it's mainly comprised of young, highly educated men. Yeah. Um, and what this means is that they're sort of like uniquely intellectual. They're uniquely well-read. Yeah. And so what I get out of this is it, these are like elite, well-off people yeah. uh, who believe extremist ideologies, who consider themselves to be revolutionaries, but from the right. Um, and what I, what I hope to be able to do by looking into them and organizations like them is to understand the right as such, basically, not as something that that doesn't make any sense, yeah. um, or as something that is stupid or that you know they don't understand or blah blah blah. But 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 rather to actually be like, okay, but like these are serious people who seriously think about things and write well. Yeah. Like, what are they writing? What are they saying? Why do they think these things? And what's your intuition about what's what the core of this is? So. So this is the reason that I think about the Second Vatican Council. I think that my claim is basically that we need to take these people seriously as Catholics. Yeah. That that is what they claim to be the core of their ideology. And we have to be honest about it. In, yeah. in the 19th century, there were some extremely virulent forms of conservative Catholicism. And who were their enemies? Masons, Jews, Protestants, labor organizers, yeah. socialists, atheists. Pretty much every single group that in my story of the 19th century are the heroes. Exactly. Because they're creating civil society, they're making new organizations, mm-hmm. they might, you know, accidentally destroy entire regions' economies, but, mm-hmm. you know, you can't get modernity without breaking a exactly. couple legs. Exactly, exactly. And, uh, of course, it, it should go without saying that an enemy of the Argentine right is Britain. Yes. They hate the British. Maybe that's a good opportunity to switch gears, because the story that I've been telling is that in the 18th and 19th centuries because of new ways of moving people and new ways of making things, British culture became global and started to spread all over the world. Mm -hmm. Um, And you get things like white settler colonies where people move to places like America and Australia and Canada and bring over kind of British-esque cultures and ways of making things. But you also get 
colonization, like going over to India and, you know, building railroads and, and, and factories. And then you get like pseudo colonization where places like Argentina are the subject of foreign direct investment and mm-hmm. loans. And that stuff is a lot more complicated. And Argentina, for one, has has been on the podcast, but it's always been kind of a bit player. So how does this explosion of the British global world look like from Argentina? Yeah, so you're absolutely right that like uh, Argentina was and sort of is sort of self-consciously on the periphery of the development of global capitalism, yeah. uh, especially in the 19th century. Um, it's kind of always hoping to get on the front line. Yeah. Um, and so the story of Argentinian... It wants to be Canada part two. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So yeah. The, Canada South. Yeah, yeah. That That's actually exactly what they want. Yeah. Um, so the story of Argentina that both the left and the right tell themselves in Argentina itself is, you know, this sort of like promise lost. Yeah. This, this, this mistake. And so the question is, why didn't we become Canada? Why yeah. didn't we become Australia? They're constantly comparing themselves to those countries. Yeah. Um, and Brazil as well, but that's a different case because they also hate the Brazilians. Yeah. Yeah. So in terms of the role of the British uh, in Argentina uh, and in Latin America in general, the British are just sort of, at least in Latin American history, the British are presented as this financial empire in the 19th century. Uh, the joke uh, throughout Latin America, and especially on the left, is that Latin American countries achieved their independence from Spain in the 1810s and 1820s and achieved their dependence on Britain uh, starting in the 1850s. Yeah. Um, after this widespread period of internal turmoil in most Latin American states in the mid-19th century. Um, and so later on, Foreign direct investment starts to pick up, railroad development especially. Um, But in Argentina, so in Argentina's case in particular, um, exports to Europe, but specifically to Britain, uh, really start to pick up in the late 19th century, uh, starting with hide uh, to make... Why do they need hides? uh, So you need hides to make belts for machines. Oh, yeah. Oh, Um, machine belts are made Machine belts are made with hide. Okay. They're made with leather. Yeah. Wheat production increases. It starts exporting wheat to Britain. Yeah, uh, you know, in the same way that this similarly happens in Eastern Europe, um, exporting wheat to industrialized centers in in Europe. Yeah. Um, at the, and then finally, beef production explodes uh, with refrigeration. Is the story? Oh yeah, Argentinian and beef is like really famous. Yeah. Argent- why, why is that? Why why are they why are they getting all of these? beef and hides and wheat like what about Argentina's making that important why aren't they making things so one of the things about Argentina is that uh, it has a Argentina has a very similar history regarding its sort of frontier zone as the United States did okay uh, at about the same time 1860s 1870s the government engages in a genocidal program uh, which they call the war of the desert uh, which expelled and murdered uh, an unknown number of indigenous people uh, in an unknown number of indigenous people in the um, the pampas, the sort of grasslandy area. Oh, so, so it's like wild west. Yeah it's, yeah, it's very much like that. And so there's um there's this explosion in ranching. There's this explosion in um, agricultural production. Uh, at the same time as there's an immigrant boom uh, from Italy and Spain primarily. Um, but as to the question, why aren't they making anything? Yeah, uh, they are. 
you know, like most early and most late industrializing countries, they're making consumer goods. Yeah. Um, so they make clothes, uh, they make leather, obviously they make boots, belts, things like that. Um, so we're talking small industry, but why don't they make big things? Like why doesn't Argentina make cars? Yeah. Why doesn't Argentina make... Why don't they make railroads? Why don't they make railroads? I mean, part of this is just that uh, after colonization, uh, in the sort of like shakeup of who would be belong to what, like what the nation states are going to be, uh, Argentina lost a lot of territory that had mineral wealth. Yeah. Um, so Chile could have been part of Argentina. Bolivia could have been part of Argentina. Uruguay could have been part of Argentina. Paraguay could have been part of Argentina, but they weren't. Um, and Chile and Bolivia especially have much more mineral wealth than Argentina does. So just to put this in the context of, of, of what people have been listening to, you get an expansion of the global market. And as markets expand, you can get specializations in things, not just you know people becoming tailors and when they were farmers and tailors before, but also regional specializations mm -hmm. where you get uh, modes of production being confined to particular places. And part of the development of the late 19th century is that you get places where raw materials are made and then other places where these raw materials are formed into consumer goods. And so we've talked about cotton, where cotton is grown in the slave states in America and in India and in Egypt, and then turned into cloth in Britain. And so this is the same sort of thing. Cows are grown in Argentina and turned into factories and turned into factory workers mm -hmm. in Britain. Yeah, that's, okay. that's exactly it. So this sounds great. Mm -hmm. from, a, from the perspective of global capitalism, things are working out as they should. Mm -hmm. uh, this is great for the efficiency of the global market. Yeah, so this is the thing uh, uh, for Argentines, is that obviously this relationship with Britain is the reason that Argentina is one of the most developed states in Latin America. Yeah. Uh, Argentina is, it is British capital. If you walk down the streets of Buenos Aires, that's what you're seeing. Um, and everybody knows it. British culture is inherent to Argentine culture. Argentines, uh, especially elites. Let me guess, let me guess. Golf, uh, cigars, wool suits, um, eating beef, social clubs. Uh, they have all, all of it except golf. I don't think they play golf. They don't play golf. Uh, football, obviously. That's yeah, the entire uh, world. Yeah. Um, they take tea. They take tea. At God. Tea, at tea time. The Australians don't even take tea anymore. <laughs> Well, the average person doesn't take. Well, so what went yeah. what, what what went wrong? What went wrong? Why why is this expansion of global capital? Uh, uh, why is this not celebrated? Why is this a story of of, of tragedy? So for the Argentines, uh, this is a story of dependence. Yeah. Of um, Argentina becoming dependent on Britain, um, specifically Britain. Um, and so the difference, I guess, is that whereas they consider the United States to have been a successful example of a country that was heavily invested in by British capital, but nevertheless maintained its political, military, financial, economic independence, ultimately, from Britain. Uh, in Argentina, that's not the case. Um, this is something that happens, you know, in a lot of countries that are heavily reliant on exports uh, in order to remain financially solvent. Uh, if there's a problem in that export market or in any kind of export market, uh, their power just fails. And do, is there an example of this happening in Argentina? Um, so a, per, a better example perhaps would be uh, the guano trade in Peru. 
like a more direct and exact example. Yeah, let's, we're going to talk about that at some point in the podcast, but this would be a great point to talk about the guano trade. Yeah, so, so for those of you who don't know, um, in the mid-19th century, uh, there was this sort of discovery, like in the like Columbus kind of way. Like indigenous people knew about um, guano islands for thousands and thousands of years, but um, industrial capitalists start realizing that uh, these islands off of Peru, which are literally just covered in guano, in, in, in bird shit. Um, that, what that means is that these are mountains of fertilizer, like actual mountains of it. Um, and they start exporting it vastly uh, to Britain, to France, to the United States, to Australia. Um, basically making... It turns into more factory yeah, workers. Yeah, it turns into more factory workers. Yeah. It, it makes industrial production possible uh, in countries that are you know, using up their land's fertility. Yeah. Um, but of course, this is not a renewable resource, uh, or it is, but it takes a really long time to renew an entire mountain of shit. Yeah. Um, and so when it's gone, it's just gone. Just um, ask Washington, D.C. But I'm... Sorry, so, when the, so the Guano Islands get e- exploited and they're no longer viable. Then what happens to the economies that are mm-hmm, based on this? Mm-hmm. Because I bet that um, you get people working, but... All of the knowledge and all of the networks of capital that might help industrialize a place are owned by British capital. That companies. is ex- that is exactly what happens. So in the Peruvian case, uh, by the end of the guano boom, the country, the government is getting the majority of its revenue from taxes on guano sales yeah. and the guano industry. And so when the market collapses, it just the government has no money anymore. Um, they shut down universities, they shut down schools, oh God. Um, they shut down the bureaucracy. And so all that they can, they, you know, they're insolvent, they can't pay their debts anymore. And so what they do is they have to turn around to British capital and say like, okay, well, we'll just give you all of the railroads. You have a complete monopoly on all railroads. Um, and this, this is not the British government, of course, this is capitalists. Yeah. Um, and so what this means is that like, to Latin Americans, uh, and this is both on the right and the left, it's very common to see British investment as being this double-edged sword. Yeah. So British investment built the railroads, Yeah. but they built it in a way that enabled them to maintain basically perpetual control. Yeah. Um, so the British, for example, this one British company gets a lease for like 60 years on all rail in Peru. And, and f- this might be the case in, in, in Latin America. It's certainly the case in India. I'm guessing that the engineers who are running oh, those yeah. railroads are British. They're all British. And they, when they retire, go back to Britain. Exactly. And they don't train up local engineers. And because of this, not only is there not the social and cultural capital of industrialization uh, not replicated, but also local forms of knowledge about production die out. Yeah, yeah. So that's a problem throughout Latin America is that much factory production is not only owned by external capital from Western Europe or North America, um, but is run by them exclusively. Um, So this continues to this day, for example, much mining that's done in Central America now for silver and gold is by Canadian companies. The executives are Canadian, the engineers are Canadian. The workers are usually locals, but um, that's sort of like hand labor. Yeah, if you're a smart, you can imagine if you're a smart miner, 
in, in one of these mining places, you're not going to go over to an engineering school no. to figure out how to build new machines. So just to put this into context, uh, you have the expansion of the giant pool of money of financial capital in Britain. And the problem with that is that it constantly needs to be finding investments that will be as certain as the investments in British government debt once were, paying a regular rate of return that was safe. And this pushes them into buying things that they know are safe, railroads and government debt. Mm -hmm. But what happens when they stop being safe? Well, they own the railroads. Yeah. They own the government debt. They're able to dictate terms to a country like Argentina that fails to pay off its government debt. Exactly. Yeah. So, so what this produces in many Latin American states is this situation where, and it did happen especially at the end of the 19th century, where governments were just completely beholden to foreign economic powers, um, to individual capitalists or firms. Um, and so you get this situ these situations where like an entire country is effectively held for ransom. Um, at least that would be how the Latin American perspective sees it. And so just to bring this back around, you can probably, can you see this uh, 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 financial ransom um, that you've just described as leading in some ways to the situation where you have grounds for uh, uh, the development of, 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 of resentful fascism? Yeah, I mean, certainly Argentina's specific relationship with Britain uh, has a lot to do with why they hate the British so much. Yeah. Um, although that, although it's also true that the British did try to invade Argentina shortly before they achieved independence. Yeah, well. Um, so, you yeah. know, but they, I mean, they, they, they invade a lot of places, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> that's, not, that's not special. <laughs> no, no. Um, but it is certainly true that, like, when Argentines talk about the British, it's sort of like, like a really unfair stepfather. Yeah. Um, he comes in, helps you out, but you're beholden to him and you're not really related to him. It's fake. It's false. Um, so the Argentine right hates the British and they, they hate British, quote, colonialism, but they love Spanish colonialism. They love it because it's moral, because it's true, yeah. because it believes it's in Catholic. something. It's Catholic. Yeah. It, it's, it, you know, it comes and it stays. Yeah. Whereas British colonialism, they know that it's just about capital and capital moves. Well, thanks very much for joining us today, Craig. Uh, I have to thank, of course, Duncan Barton for the image uh, that we use in the podcast and uh, Jonathan Lear uh, for the music. If you like the show, rate us and review us on iTunes. Uh, Tell your friends, put us on social media, light a candle in our honor, um, and check out the website at historian.live. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow where I uh, am going to be talking about, ooh, um, I think the ocean. I think that's where we're going to be that's talking That's exciting. About. Yeah, <laughs> I've read some cool books on the ocean. <laughs> anyway, thanks very much, and I'll see you guys tomorrow. Bye.